chapter 4 and verses 6 through 7. And now, in a lot of places, like sometimes I, I've called this the uh, recipe or the prescription for peace. You know, like people wonder, well, I, I need peace in my life. You know, it's like uh, life's such a, a tumult and, you know, everything's so jumbled up and everything's so jagged and some people are always worried about things, you know, and they seek peace. I wonder, well, how can I find peace? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us wandering around in the wilderness. It gives us right here a prescription or, uh, for peace. And he says in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 6, and I'm reading out of the New King James today, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. You know. But how do you not be anxious for something when you're anxious for something? Well, you have to dismiss it. It says dismiss. You know, in other words, that's something we have to do. You know, we it's not just... Um, it's not just going to go away. Yeah, it's not just like, well, I'm going to sit here and it's just going to disappear because what will happen is we'll just keep thinking about, oh, man, the bills do. Oh, man, the bills do. Well, how am I going to pay the bill? And been there. Have been there thinking that and wondering about that. You know, but we have to dismiss it. We have to... Uh, Follow God's word. He says, be anxious for nothing. Let your requests be made known to God. I guess that would be how we dismiss it. And and how? With thanksgiving. Yes. You know, let our prayers be with thanksgiving. When we pray, oh God, you know, I need help. How am I going to do this? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for opening a way. Thank you, Lord. You know, and... It tells us that if we will do this, make our requests, you know, which are supplications, our prayers to God, if we'll do that with thanksgiving, then the peace of God will come over us. You know, it's not like we're going to sit here in the midst of our anxiety and expect to have peace. 
we have to actively do something. We have to take those anxieties and turn them into requests, into prayers, and salt those prayers with thanksgiving, you know. And here we have a national holiday in America called Thanksgiving. And, you know, there's a lot of history behind it, many different ones. You know, you can talk about the Puritans, you can talk about the Civil War, you can talk about anything. It's, to me, it's one of my favorite holidays. I really love it because it's specially set up to give thanks. You know, it's like, who you, if you're an atheist, who are you giving thanks to? You're thinking, you know, I thank the cosmic wheel for turning around and dropping this in my lap. You know, no, it's about giving thanks to God, you know, and that, that's where it, any of the stories, the Puritan story with the Indians and all that, they were giving thanks to God. They were very religious people on both sides. Mm -hmm. You look at uh, the Civil War, it was Abraham Lincoln calling for a day of thanksgiving, you know, because of, you know, the, the, the victories that were being made, you know, but it was a day of thanksgiving to God. Mm -hmm. And I think so often now, today in our secular America... A lot of materialism. Well, everything's materialism. You know? We're going into the, the season of ultimate materialism. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and before that, that season officially starts for all of us with Thanksgiving. And of course, Black Friday! You know, the, the celebration of materialism. And people, are they thankful for things? What are, what are we thankful for? Who are we thanking? You know, uh, one member of your family always makes it a tradition when we are together to say, what are you thankful for? And ask people. You know, most times that doesn't even happen anymore. Nobody speaks about what they're thankful for. You know, but here we are in a season of Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. and, and I thank you, Lord, today for your fresh mercies that are new today. Amen. There's new mercies and graces today, Lord. I thank you for that. Amen. You know, the uh, Bible tells us, cry every tear. Joy comes in the morning. I yeah. thank you, Lord, for joy in the morning. I thank you for restorative sleep. I thank you for my life. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for all things, Lord. But then, you know, it's easy to be thankful for the good things. It's easy to praise God for the good things. It's, it gets harder, and that's where we get into like that song, the sacrifices of praise and the sacrifices of thanksgiving. When we can praise God in the midst, I can remember us, praise God, we're broke. Mm -hmm. you know, I remember saying that, I mean, being flat broke, I mean, there were times we gave away everything we had, there were times we had nothing to give away, you know, and just flat out, total broke, and dancing around the house, praise God, we're broke. God, we're out of the way, and God can do something, and He always did. Always does. Yes, and being thankful for the little things. I thank you, God, I can see. I thank you, God, I can hear. I thank you, God, that you gave me yet one more day to praise you. I thank you, God, that I can believe right now. I haven't even left the house, but I believe. You are going to give me an opportunity somewhere in this world to speak your name, the name of Jesus, into this world. I thank you for that. I don't even know it's coming. I don't know where it's going to be, but I thank you because I believe it's going to be there. So if we will follow this prescription, 
don't be anxious. Say, well, what do we, how do we get rid of anxiety? This is exactly how. We turn anxiety into prayers and supplications, requests made with thanksgiving, and then God will guard our heart and give us the peace that is without understanding. And it's only beyond and without understanding to the people of the world because they look at us and say, how can they be peaceful in the midst of everything they're going through? And that's the only way. Yes, you know, it's an old saying, but it's also in the Bible. Instead of worrying, pray. Amen. You know, in the message it says, let petitions and praises shape your worries and prayers, letting God know your concerns. Amen. I guess that's how you get rid of the worries, is you let God know. And you shape them into what? What does it say? Uh, um, before you know it, your sense of... Uh, let petitions and praises... Sh oh, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Wow. Yes, That's beautiful. It is. And it, it's not always easy, but it's good. Because it even goes on to say, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. And as, as everybody goes forward into Thanksgiving this week, enjoy it. I hope you have a wonderful time. We, we just pray that your family gathers together and, and you, you just enjoy each other. And be thankful for what God has given you. And be thankful for what he hasn't given you yet. Yes, you know, I think that we also need to consider being thankful for the convictions God blesses us with. You know, when we get, when he scolds us or he puts convictions on our heart that we're doing wrong, that's a blessing. Amen. And you need to thank him for those also. Amen. You know, convictions are just evidence that God hasn't done with us yet. Amen. You know? And now we're going to share a song. We're going to share a song that, that sort of ties right into all this. It's called, We Bring the Sacrifice Praise. Hope you enjoy it. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Thanksgiving and joy. What are those? 
those are the times when you offer those things up and you don't even feel like it. Well, you know, and you praise God, you know, things are going wrong, you praise God anyhow, you know. You didn't get what you were asking for, well, you thank God anyhow, amen. Oh, you feel like you're lowering a snake's belly. <laughs> and you give the sacrifice of joy. Yes, with the rest. Thank you, Jimmy. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. Yes. Praise your way out of that situation. Yes. Oh, we bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring sacrifice of enjoyed that song and I hope you find yourself praising the Lord in the midst of whatever it is you're going through just praise him make it a sacrifice unto him and he will turn it all there so um, we hope you enjoyed it and again we hope it's, it's you know it's an old song it's an old little ditty that we used to do when we pastored in a church and uh, it's, it's a good one you can, you can even run around the house <laughs> dancing when you sing it. Amen. So enjoy it. <clears throat> now we're going to go into um, a reading from Robert's book. Robert's going to read it. America's Trojan War. This will be chapter 23. And if you're following along, the excitement is building. The battle is, is going on. And hope you're enjoying this. And remember, it's the first book in the five-book series. And you can get them all on Amazon. Hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Chapter 23, Death from Above, Fire from Below. The conference room that the ISIS governor of America, Malouf Shalab, had chosen for his headquarters buzzed with activity. There were many warriors monitoring communications on the many screens which carried all the closed-circuit TV surveillance, both inside and outside Walter Reed, which the ISIS text had rerouted from the security office to the conference room. There were several warriors manning communications gear constantly linked to the companies on the perimeter, both giving orders and receiving reports. They were also in constant touch with the many spotters and snipers on the roofs of the hospital and throughout the neighborhoods around the complex. Bassam Kassab, the commander of Strike Force One, reported to the governor, Excellency, we have fired for effect on the American positions. The spotters who remain are reporting the results so that our gunners can adjust their fire and take out the unbeliever's armor and then the building felt like it lifted up and then fell right back down as the deadly accurate American counterfire took out the ISIS Abrams. Ceiling tiles came down in an avalanche. The lights flickered and then stabilized. Dust and smoke filled the air. Some of the communications gear blew up from the power surge. Others stopped working as circuits tripped, reset, and then tripped again. Bassam had been thrown down hard, hitting his head against the metal leg of a table, knocking him senseless. The governor was also knocked down, but not out. His left cheek was bleeding, and his ears were still ringing from the concussion when he struggled to his feet and called out, 
crowd, find out what happened. The people in the headquarters were still picking themselves up when the first runners came in and reported, Excellency, the unbelievers have taken out all of the Abrams. They've landed a heavy barrage all along the perimeter. Get to the roof and bring me a report. Tell the spotters to establish radio contact with headquarters immediately. Then you bring back a report. The communications were now coming in, back on. Commander Basav was once again on his feet, blood streaming down his face from the big cut on his head. He used his black headscarf to tie around his head, which slowed but did not stop the flow of blood. He went over to the re reviving communications area, calling back to the governor. There are fires in many areas, and parts of the building have collapsed. Ah, the Americans have not uh, were not restrained by the hostages. Perhaps now that their denier-in-chief is gone, and there is no one to apologize for their power, America has found a leader who will fight, said the governor. One of the radio techs called out, We are now in touch with the spotters on the roof again. They say they can see American armor rolling down old Georgetown Road. Confused moment followed confused moment. The tick behind the dusty room, filled with dedicated and determined warriors. Then a communications tech called out, They have turned east on West Cedar Lane. Runners came and went. Orders and exhortations to stand firm were sent by Basham Kassab to as many different units. Then another communications tech called out, One company is continuing east on Cedar Lane. Three companies are heading south on Rockville Pike. Soon the same tech called out, The company on Cedar Lane is spreading out in attack formation. All are in charges. Are all the charges and booby traps set? Asked the governor. Yes, Excellency. We will bring the hulk of this building down on the unbelievers. It will become their tombstone responded Kassab. Order the patrols to go through the rooms and kill every patient. Tell the guards to quit educating the unbeliever whores about what it means to be unsanctified, uncovered, and unholy. Have the guards kill all the women, except for 50 who've already been educated. Take them out and release them through the perimeter so that the Americans will know what we've done to their women. Yes, Excellency, Kassab said. He then turned to an aide and told him to relay the governor's orders to the corridor patrols, the hostage rooms, and the men in the rape rooms. Just then a communications tech called out, the Americans have two companies on Rockville Pike. They are posted in attack formation. The final company is heading east on Jones Bridge Road. Rejoice, my brothers. The moment of our glorious martyrdom grows near. It will be our honor to present our beloved Caliph with such a funeral prior, burning into the black soul of the great Satan that our ultimate death and defeat will blossom into the greatest victory in the history of all believers who have ever lived. And though we die, we have claimed this, the province of America, for the glory of Allah and the honor of his prophet Muhammad. Peace be upon him, said the governor. Cries of Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, filled the room. Looking to his leader, Bassam Kassab said, the Americans are going to surround us before they attack. As he used a handkerchief someone gave him to wipe the blood that was running freely under the blood-soaked makeshift bandage he had tied around his head. Tell the Bradleys to hold their fire. Don't waste anything on the Abrams and aim at the infantry, the trucks, and any strikers they see, called the governor to his communications center. One of the techs answered back, Excellently, Cincy. Our spotters are reporting that the Americans have stopped where Palmer Road meets Jones Bridge Road, and they are, they are getting into attack formation. For the first time since the building had bucked, it was obvious that the Americans were no longer going to act as the Caliph liked to say, like foolish boys, too mad to run and too afraid to fight. Bassam Kassab smiled as he turned to the communications tech and said, 
The fools are leaving the east door open to Abdel al-Shalib, the first governor of the ISIS province of America, immediately seeing what he perceived as a golden opportunity to increase the American casualties. Shalab, the veteran of hundreds of battles, the man who had personally ordered the beheading of four Americans in Raqqa in front of the caliph himself said, have all the infantry from the entire perimeter move to the east side of the building. They will do nothing to stop the Abrams and the Bradleys will be able to chew up their infantry as they advance just as well without infantry support. Once they are on the east side, as soon as the Americans begin to advance, order our infantry to divide in the middle with one group going north and the other south. They should circle around the east ends of the Americans and fall on their infantry from behind. Yes, Excellency, Kassab said, turning to an aide to transmit the orders by runner as well as by radio to make sure everyone knew the plan. This will give us a chance to send more of these devils to hell before we make our journey to paradise, Kassab added again, smiling even though the loss of blood was beginning to have an impact on him. As a dull roar grew into a pulsating, ear-pounding, deafening hurricane of sound, a communications tech shouted to make his voice heard above the din. Excellency, the spotters report that there are many Apache gunships coming from all directions. Ah, the Americans must have found a military leader equal to their great General Schwarzkopf. This will be no fight against soldiers who aren't allowed to fight. Today we will meet the American warrior to warrior, and as we take their lives we will gain even greater glory, because we are killing brave men, even if they fight for the great Satan. These are not the handcuffed boys their former leaders sent as sacrifices upon the altar of death for their vain attempts to steal our lands. Today, we will see real Americans in battle. As deafening roars added to the ears, the shattering noise of the massed Apaches, a communications tech called out, Excellency, the American Apaches have obliterated our perimeter. They're exploding Bradleys everywhere, interrupted the, the governor's speech. Just what I would have done, said Bassam Kassab, the commander of Strike Force One. As would I, as would I, replied the governor. The assault will come on the heels of the barrage. Tell the infantry to prepare to move out to the east. Excellency, there is no infantry left. The perimeter is aflame everywhere. Your order was too late. No one could have moved before they were caught in that rain of fire, said one of the communications tech. Kassab, standing near the tech who had just spoken up, stepped up behind him, drew his pistol, and shot the man in the back of his head. His Excellency didn't ask for advice or commentary. He gave an order. Transmit the order. With no hesitation, all the remaining techs transmitted the order for the now non-existent infantry to prepare to strike out to the east to envelop the Americans. Bassam, we shall soon be together in paradise with all our old camera, cam comrades feasting with Saladin himself and all the other believers who have gone before us fighting the crusaders and dying in. Suddenly the room dissolved into twisted wreckage, bleeding bodies and flashing, sputtering equipment as the ceiling preceded the roof in a race for the floor. The whole building seemed to raise itself up and then quickly fall in on itself. The incoming Hellfire missiles took out supporting walls, and in some areas three and four floors all collapsed into a smoking pile of rubble. Having destroyed the enemy armor, shattered their perimeter, Colonel Johnson led the 13th Armored Brigade of the West Virginia National Guard south down Old Tor Georgetown Road. They turned east on West Cedar Lane, 
and it spread out to attack across the campus of the Stone Ridge School of the Sacred Heart. Colonel Johnson sent one company of the Brigade East on Cedar Lane. With the other three companies, he proceeded south on Rockville Pike. He left two brigades on Rockville Pike and sent the final company east on Jones Bridge Road. Having surrounded the hospital on three sides, his armor, he was just about to order the attack when the radio in the back of his Humvee came to life. Come in, West Virginia, 13th Armored. This is the 337th Combat Aviation Brigade out of Bowling Air Force Base. Surprised and shocked, Colonel Johnson told Master Sergeant Randall Hubbs, his comm tech, hand me that microphone, Hubbs. Yes, sir, Hubbs replied as he handed the radio's microphone to the colonel. Come in, 337th Combat Aviation Brigade. This is Colonel David Johnson, commander of the 13th Armor. Good morning, Colonel. This is Colonel John Greenstein, commander of the 337th Combat Aviation Brigade. I have some good news for you. We've been ordered by the president to give you all the air support you need. Wow, I'm glad to hear the president survived the attack. We had heard he was dead, Johnson said. He'd never been a supporter of the president and he blamed him personally for the very situation he was in, but he was glad that the man in the office had survived. I'm not talking about President Obonio. He was caught in the first barrage along with just about everybody in his chain of command. I'm talking about the new president, Patricia Parker, responded Colonel Greenstein. President Parker? I never heard of her. How did she become president? I don't know. I don't care, Colonel. I guess she was a cabinet secretary or something. Anyway, she's been sworn in, and my commanding general says she is the president. Myself, I just salute and take orders. I'm just glad someone has taken command who isn't afraid to act like America is the most powerful country in the world. Somebody told me she is a retired officer with combat training and experience. As far as I can tell, she's sure as hell acting like it. Without taking even a moment to reflect on the momentous news, Johnson did the verbal equivalent of salute and taking orders when he said that sounds good to me here's the situation colonel my 105s took out all the abrams and we have punctuated and punctured the perimeter on all sides i was just about to order a full assault on three sides instead if you could pulverize the perimeter then give us cover when we roll while sealing the east side we should be able to smash our way into these buildings and mop up these isis terrorists in short order roger that hold back until we light up the perimeter then let it roll all right, Colonel Greenstein, let's give these intruders a taste of good old-fashioned American death from above and fire from below. With that, the 13th stood its ground, ready to advance. Short time later, the roar of massed Apaches pounded against their ears with the intensity of a brass, big bass drum in a small, empty room. Suddenly, the sky was filled with gunships firing Hellfire missile at points all along the perimeter. Fire and explosions ripped the day open as shattered bodies and vehicles flew in all direction. Colonel Johnson, how about a barrage on the building before we take up our positions as your air cover and close the eastern door, asked Colonel Greenstein. Those buildings are filled with thousands of hostages, Colonel Johnson answered. The president has ordered that we should assault the enemy with extreme prejudice and worry about the hostages after the facilities have been retaken. I guess we do finally have a fighting president. Sure, bring the roof down on their damn heads and let those sons of bitches know they're messing with the U.S. armed force forces without our hands tied behind our back for once. Almost instantly, every Apache lost one Hellfire missile directly into the building. The explosions were followed in some areas by collapse of roofs, and others by jets of fire exploding out windows, and in yet others by huge columns of smoke that leapt into the air. Just moments later, the Apaches had taken up positions, sealing the eastern side of the complex, and some hovering over the armored columns, looking at the crumbling and burning buildings surrounded by a blazing 
perimeter. Colonel Johnson commanded his men into battle. He had done this many times in Iraq and Afghanistan, but this was the first time he or any other commander ordered an assault by an American military unit in the United States since the Civil War. Being from West Virginia, where the Civil War seemed like it was just last week, the significance of this did not escape the colonel. Looking straight ahead and speaking to no one in particular, he said, nothing will ever be the same. Behind him, Lieutenant Colonel Bobby Larson thought about his little four-year-old son. Junior, you'll never even get to know the America your dad grew up in. Then he said, war always changes things. But I have a feeling this war is going to change everything. We aren't just attacking a hospital. We're going through the looking glass. Sergeant Bubba Hank, driving the Humvee, added, Maybe it'll be better. At least now we have a president who will let us fight. Maybe this time we'll be allowed to win. We may win, Bubba, but we need to remember what we're fighting for, not just hate what we're fighting against, Colonel Johnson mused. Then all conversation ceased as they and the rest of the 13th made contact with the enemy. Thank you, Robert. Boy, the excitement is mounting. I gotta tell you, I don't know how any of you can not go run out and get that book just so that you can see what's or hear what read what's going on. Because I have to tell you, I wrote it, read it several times myself, and it never lost its excitement. So um, have a wonderful t day, wonderful week, wonderful Thanksgiving. Don't forget to give the Lord Thanksgiving even in the darkness, even in the problems. And we want you to remember that you can contact us anytime by going to itookarightturn.com and clicking on contact us in case you want to schedule us to come be goofy with you or just in case you want to ask us to do a specific thing or, you know, uh, not a specific thing, I guess. <laughs> not just anything, <laughs> not just you anything. know. <laughs> you, want, you want us to address a certain thing out of scripture, we'd be glad to do that. Have a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous Thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We are thankful for you. Amen. Amen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.